You are listening to the Tom Elif Podcast. Tom Elif pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Elif. been taking Wednesday evening to go back to the passage of Scripture and pull out a truth that in the larger context we may have overlooked and to deal with that on a Wednesday evening. I want to do that in advance. Uh, the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus deals, of course, with the deliverance of the children of Israel um, by the mighty act of God when he caused the waters of the Red Sea to part and they went across on dry ground and then he closed those waters up over the Egyptian army, specifically the charioteers, and they drowned. And um, it's an incredible event in history. And some theologians have even tried to explain it away. You know, they say, well, this was really the Reed Sea, and the wind blew the waters back a little bit, and it really wasn't all that deep. Well, I'll tell you what, don't try to tell one of those drowned charioteers how deep the water wasn't. Um, he's pretty well equipped with the fact that however much water was there was enough to drown him. And so we're going to be looking at uh, the 14th chapter in this incredible event in the history of Israel. I, I'm not sure that there are many events in their history that are as well known as this event. In fact, this may be the most well-known event in the history of Israel. And so uh, we're going to be looking at that Sunday morning this evening, I'd like for you to look at the first few verses, verses 1 through 4 of Exodus chapter 14. And I'd like to speak on this subject. We don't want to let these verses go. They, they're just so innocuous and uh, seemingly inconsequential. But yet these verses will reveal to us five questions to ask when you are seeking the will of God. Five questions to ask when you are seeking the will of God. Now, before we stand together and read these verses of Scripture, these four verses, let me just say to you that I probably am asked mostly, I, I would say the, the question that I receive more than any other question from individuals is this. Brother Tom, how can I know the will of God in regard to a certain issue. Now, the, the folks are, who ask that question are not asking the question in a generic sense. They know that, that the Bible contains many statements about things that are the will of God. It's the will of God, for instance, that we follow the commandments of God. It's the will of God that we love one another. It's the will of God that we be saved. It's the will of God that we witness. It's the will of God that we fellowship in church. It's the will of God that we live lives that are morally pure and righteous and upright. Th these are generic statements, and we know that these things are the will of God. That's not what people ask. It's, Brother Tom, you know, I'm thinking about buying a house or a preacher. Uh, I'm wondering if God's calling me to the mission field or into the ministry of some kind. Or, or preacher, uh, you know, I've been praying about getting married. I'm, I'm really seeking the will of God in regard to this matter. How can I know what is the will of God in that matter? And so I want to speak on that issue from these four verses. I mean, it is crystal clear. You'll see it. I mean, we'll just, these verses will explain themselves. You'll, this, this will not take any uh, brain uh, surgeon or, you know, uh, 
rocket scientist to figure out. It just is going to fall open. All we have to do is just, just sort of tweak the zipper at the top and the whole, the whole piece of fruit just comes apart and you'll see it so clearly in just a few moments. But there are five questions that, that, that you can ask when you are searching for the will of God in regard to some issue. Now, uh, before we read these verses, however, let me just say that I'm making assumption about, about three things. First of all, I'm assuming you know that the will of God is going to be a mystery to you unless you have surrendered your life to the Lord. That is, on a continual basis. I mean, there's some things you can know if you're lost as a goose in a snowstorm that are the will of God. But as a believer in Christ, wanting to walk with the Lord, uh, the, the first criteria here is that you live a righteous life. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, the Bible says, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. And so uh, we're talking about here a righteous life, a life that is totally surrendered, not sin-free, but as best you know, totally surrendered to the Lord and quick to repent when he convicts you of sin. First criteria. Second criteria, that you are spending time in the Word of God because all Scripture is given so that you might know how to do all things right. That's what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 say. You know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction to righteousness, that is how to do right, that the man of God might be perfect, there the word means complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the Bible is there so that you can do good works, the right, the right things. And so it's assuming, number one, you're surrendered to the Lord. It's assuming, number two, that you're spending time in the Word of God. And it's assuming, number three, that you are praying ardently about this. This is not something where you're just sitting around trying to imagine what God wants. You have not because you ask not. In fact, in the first chapter of James, it says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavers, for he that wavers is like the wave of the sea, tossed to and fro. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And so the key is to be an asking person. Prayer, a major part of prayer, is asking. And so it assumes that you're not just sitting around and saying, boy, I just, I just want God to show me his will, man. I just, boy, maybe, maybe, maybe this is it, maybe this is it. No, we're not talking about trying to have a sanctified imagination here. We are talking about asking, Lord, I am searching for your will. Lord, I ask you to show me. As I read your word, as I bring my surrendered life to your word, I'm asking you to show me your will. Now, the Lord can speak a lot of ways. I tell you this, whatever he says, it will not contradict what he says in the word, and it will not contradict who he is. That is the person or nature of God. But here are five questions to ask when you're seeking the will of God. Stand with me, if you will, please. And let me uh, just begin reading with verse 1. Children of Israel now have come out from the bondage and slavery of Egypt. The Passover, that was the last big event. Now we're setting the stage for the next big event. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and encamp around some cities whose names are too hard to pronounce. No, really, <laughs> I, need to, I need to explain to you about these names. These names are not names of great big cities. They're just, they're just names of places. When we lived in Arkansas, for instance, they had great names like Bucksnort. Uh, that, was, you know, that was not a big city. Um, Eagle Neck Crossroads, Scratch Out. 
Uh, I used to drive through three cities, Ulm, Humnoak. Those are great cities. On my way to Stuttgart, which is a big city in Germany, but not a big city in Arkansas unless you like to duck hunt or eat rice. Um, you know, now, these, were, these just represented, you know, places. Um, and so we got three of them here. N none of the three probably had a, a chamber of commerce. You know, the Pihahirath Chamber of Commerce. Um, these names describe places, and that word... Uh, Pihahiroth means the place where the sedge grows. So it was probably sort of a marshy area before you got to the sea, okay? And the word Migdal there is a reference to an Egyptian watchtower. Probably one of the last uh, places that the Egyptians uh, could look out for invaders on their border. This was over near their border, you see. And this word Baalzephon means the, the place where the lords gathered. They, they just assumed that was a very religious place right there. And he says, uh, so, so turn. In other words, I want you to change course here. It looks sort of like they're, they're, they're doing something absolutely stupid. They're not going the short route the way of the Philistines. We've already discovered that uh, and the reason for that in the previous chapter. And so they've gone down to this area, and he says before it, you shall encamp by the sea. So here they are, camped by the Red Sea. Now, just think about looking up, and, and maybe as million, maybe as, as many as 1.8 million people, if you count women and children along with the fighting soldiers. I mean, this is a huge group of people, almost twice as large as the Oklahoma City Metroplex, camped by the river. Now, you think about this. This is incredible. And the Lord goes on to say this, For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land of the wilderness, and the land, in the land the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. That's what they did. Pretty neat, isn't it? That's just, can you imagine it? crowd that big. That's what they did. God said, do this. That's what they did. And uh, of course, God did what he said he was going to do. Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to uh, the truth of the scripture. Show us, Lord, these five questions to ask when we are seeking your will. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's, here's what's happened. You have gone before the Lord, repented of any sin, confessed it, that has separated you from fellowship with him, laid everything on the altar. You're totally surrendered to him. There's not anything he's going to tell you that you're not going to do. You're spending time in the word of God. Before you open the word of God, you're literally asking God, God, show me your will. I'm not looking to do this in fits and starts. I'm not going to do this just today. I'm not just going to haul off and, and take a whack at finding your will in your word. And then if you don't show me today, go do something that I want to do it the way I want to do it. Lord, I'm giving my life to spending time in your word, spending time in prayer. So as you're doing this, all of a sudden, the scripture begins to come alive to you. In the midst of this, God begins to speak to you as clearly in your heart as God was speaking to Moses at this time in terms of giving him direction. And all of a sudden you're asking this question, how do I distinguish what I'm reading now from what I read yesterday? 
or why is it that this verse seems to speak to my heart and the verse just before it did not? How do I really know this is the will of God? How can I really know that this is the will of God for me? And we're not speaking, talking here about, you know, as I said, the generic will of God in terms of the things that we know that God wants us to do, the principles to follow. But how can I know that this is his leadership in regard to this specific issue? How do I really know that? Well, I would ask five questions. All right? God has spoken to Moses. Moses revealed this to the people, what God said, and they did it. And God did what he said he was going to do. So what, what are some issues that arise here? First of all, there is what I want to call the personal question. The personal question. Lord, are you speaking to me? Now, in verse 1, and the first part of verse 2, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, and Moses said, and then he said this, Speak to the children of Israel. No doubt in Moses' mind, God was speaking to him. And when he spoke to the children of Israel, no doubt that God was speaking through Moses to the children of Israel. So the first question is a personal question. Here it is. Lord, in prayer, I am asking you, is this that I'm reading, is this your plan for my life? Is this your plan for my behavior? God, are you speaking to me, or am I just imagining this? Sometimes I put on the helmet of salvation. Sometimes I actually uh, rebuke the devil from interfering in my, my prayer time because I want to hear only from God and not be held captive by the imagination of my heart. I want to hear from God. And so I ask this question, God, is this you speaking to me? Now, some of you all are, are saying, yeah, I'd like to know how you figure that out. Well, let me use an illustration. In Colossians 1, 6, it says this, As you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him. That means the way you got saved as you received Jesus Christ the Lord is to be the pattern for the way you live, the way you walk. So walk you in him. In the way that you got saved, that's the way you're to live. How'd you get saved? You got saved. I got saved. The agenda was different for every one of us. Different circumstances, different places, different times, different folks speaking, different folks involved, different all kinds of things. Had different feelings, some different memories about all different, but there were some things in common about all our salvation. Number one, we were aware there was a problem. If you weren't, I doubt you really got saved. You were aware there's a problem. There's broken fellowship with God. That was the big problem there. Number two, in the midst of that, somehow God spoke to you by his spirit through the word. It may have been the preacher preaching, Sunday school class, somebody over at your house witnessing. But, of, but the verses which always you'd heard all your life, maybe, for instance, me, I was a sun, sunbeam growing up. I could have quoted John 3, 16 backwards and forwards. But one day in the con greater context of my need, I knew John 3, 16 was God for me. See, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that word, word, is the rhema, the word God speaks to you. The word God speaks to you. And so here you are sitting out here in the audience. Preacher's preaching away. You're lost. You haven't really cared about it maybe or maybe you've been really grieved about it. But all of a sudden, something that God speaks to your heart by his Holy Spirit through his word grips your heart and you said, that's for me. I can get saved. So you came down the aisle or you knelt by your bed or you told your Sunday school teacher you wanted to receive Christ or your parents that you wanted to get saved. That's the pattern. God, I have a need. I need to know your will. And as you are reading his word, 
in the context that God says to you, this is for you. It's not just something that tells you what you want to do or what you want to get. But this is for you. So the first question is the personal question. Lord, are you speaking to me? All right, the second question is what I want to call the performance question. Lord, is, what is your plan? Lord, are you sharing with me how I am to behave? Look at this way for a minute. I want to see everybody, the white of everybody's eyes. Most Bible promises don't tell you what you're going to get, but how you are to behave. See, a lot of people really get hung on this. And they, they say, oh, man, I read this word of God. God told me I'm going to be a rich man. God told me I'm going to marry somebody. God told me a house. It's going to be wonderful. You know, God tells me all this stuff. And it just gets all fouled up, and it just gets terrible. Most Bible promises. See, God's more interested in developing character than he is in giving you some neat experience. And so the way to develop character is to lay out before you how to behave. And so the second question is performance. Lord, what is the plan here? That's what he said here. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn and camp before Pihahirath between Migdal and the sea over against Baal-Zephon before, it shall encamp by, before it you shall encamp by the sea. Okay, this is the plan. So the second, first question is, Lord, is this really you speaking to me, God? I, and I, I just stand against Satan. I stand against the wiles of the devil. I stand against a foolish imagination. Lord, I want to know that this is you speaking to me. All right, Lord, do I see here your plan? Are you giving me enough information that I can know what to do? And that's what he had given the children of Israel, enough information that he could know, they could know what to do. Now, God doesn't have to answer any of these questions, but I think that most times he is disposed to. I think he, he lo loves answering these questions. All right, the third question is a, what I call a perspective question, a perspective question. Now, here's what I mean by that. Is there, in what God has, is, is sharing with you or has shared with you, is there a sense in which he... Now, now I'm going to use figurative speech here. Is there a sense in which he puts you in a divine helicopter and lifts you up above the situation so you get a little glimpse of what he's about? Is there this sense in which God just, just takes you unto himself and gives you some insight... Now, let me, let me give you an illustration of this. One day, uh, uh, right, right here at First Southern, year, years ago, um, there were two groups of people outside our church, not inside our church, but they, were, they had a, a vested interest, monetary interest in our church, and they were very angry, and they wanted to meet with me. And they wanted to have attorneys uh, meet with me. And, and, you know, and man, I don't know, come here from Sikkim about all this stuff. I'm just, you know, I'm just, like Solomon said, like a baby. I don't know how to go in or come out, you know. And so I'm praying about this. And God just said to me, keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. Uh, that wasn't exactly, exactly the words, but it's a good Hebrew translation of the, of the scripture. Keep your mouth shut. And they will fight against each other and become confused. And it is in that way that you're going to win the victory. 
So we went in this meeting, and here's all these guys, you know, man, I mean, they are, they are, they come in, you know, they've got all this stuff, and they're, you know, they're dressed in suits that I can't afford, and they're, you know, they're, they're sitting there, and, and part of them are on this end of the table, and we're, we're in the, we're, we're at that big table that we got in the telephone conference room. Part of them are sitting down here, you know, and I'm sort of like the ham in the middle of the two pieces of bread, you know, I'm, you know, sort of sweating. I got some, you know, we got some people here that, that are helping out. Bill Spang was in the meeting, we had some good representation. And um, just, God just said, keep your mouth shut. And so I wrote on a piece of paper some initials, K-Y-M-S-S. The last S was stupid. Uh, keep your mouth shut, stupid. So I just keep looking at that piece, K-Y-M-S-S. And, you know, I sort of look over there, and I just had those initials there. And just, oh, man, it was so hard because I really wanted to give it to them. And sure enough, these guys, they got to arguing with each other over us. And finally, they got so upset with each other that they forgot us. And, and, and I don't know, I can't even remember how the meeting ended. I think they left still fighting with each other, and they're going to work out some deal with each other. And it became a non-issue to us. Now, what, I, what I'm trying to say is this that as God was revealing to me his plan, the performance question, Lord, is this you? Okay, God, you're speaking to me. Performance, here's what I want you to do. Keep your mouth shut, stupid. All right? As he revealed his plan, he took me in this helicopter, and I don't mean visually. I'm not talking about I was, you know, an out-of-body experience, you know. If I ever get out of body, I'm going to switch. Okay, now, so uh, I'm not talking about one of those things. I'm just saying that God drew me unto himself and said, here's what I'm going to do. If you just keep your mouth shut, I'm going to confound the enemy. Now, let, let's see where the scripture says this. Verse 3. Here's what God says. He says, listen, Moses, let me, just, let me let you in on this. Pharaoh is going to say of you guys, they've gotten trapped in the land. They have become entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So what's he telling? Why is he telling Moses that? Does Moses need to know that? Totally irrelevant for Moses to know that, except God is just taking him up and saying, I'm going to give you a little divine perspective on this situation. You do what I'm telling you, and here's, what, here's how Pharaoh is going to respond. Now, are you with me so far? So the first question is what? The personal question. God, is this you speaking to me? Second question, the performance question. If so, what do you want me to do? Third question, the perspective question. It's... it's God doesn't have to answer it, but it's legitimate to ask why. Why are you doing this? And God says, all right, I'm going to reveal to you a little bit of, of my mind about this, all right? The fourth question is the procedure question. The procedure question. You said, I thought that was a performance question. No, this procedure question has to do with what God's going to do. Lord, if I'm to do this, then how can I anticipate that you are going to proceed? What is the procedure here? Look at verse 4. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to come after you. See, the, the perspective question is, Pharaoh is going to think you're trapped. The fourth question, procedure question is, he's going to come after you. I'm going to harden his heart. He's going to come after out there after you. And I can imagine Moses saying, that doesn't sound very good. I said, yeah, just hang on. It's really great. 
not going to show you everything. This is really a neat deal, Moses. I'm telling you, but he's going to come out. He's going he's to think you're trapped. I'm going to harden his heart. He's going to come out after you. And there's nothing wrong with asking the Lord, Lord, what are you going to do? He doesn't have to tell you. He doesn't have to tell you. He doesn't have to tell us any of these things, really. But very often the Lord will just say, look, here's what's going to happen. Just as he did to me in that instance. Keep your mouth shut. That's how you're to behave. I'm going to see that they're defeated. That's what I'm going to do. All right? Now, the, fourth, the fifth question is a purpose question. Lord, why are you doing this? Now, this is a big question, and this is you're, you're dabbling now in asking for wisdom, okay? Lord, why are you doing this? This is the purpose question. And notice he gives the purpose. He says, I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. What does he say? This is my purpose in this. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Don't turn there. But uh, the Lord is just speaking to the children of Israel about the 40 years they have, they have spent in the wilderness. And he said, you know something? He said, let me, let me give you a little glimpse into my purpose behind all this. I've led you all this way. I've fed you with food that you've never eaten before. I've watered you. I've kept you alive. Your, your clothes didn't grow old. Your shoes didn't wear out. I, all of this had one purpose behind it, that you might learn that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God does man live. He said, that's my purpose. Now, why am I telling you this this evening? Because if at any of these junctures, the personal question, Lord, are you speaking to me? The performance question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then we move to that, that perspective question, Lord, can, can you show me your heart about this matter? The procedure question, what are you going to do? The purpose question, why are you doing all this? Those are legitimate questions, and God legitimately cannot answer them. He doesn't have to answer them to you. But if he gives you an answer to any of those, you can run to him and just see the unfolding of what he's promised to do. You can run to him. You can aggressively cooperate with him. Let, let, let me give you a, an illustration in closing. I, uh, I had a friend who uh, himself had many physical problems. Three illnesses, any one of which could have taken his life. Any one, a doctor would say, that's a terminal disease. He lived for years with these three illnesses. Often people would come to him, like somebody who had gotten a diagnosis, well, you've got cancer, or you've got leukemia, or you've got um, rheumatoid arthritis, or you've got uh, 
a cyst on your bone or you've got, you know, people would come to him. Maybe it's a, you, you've lost your job or your, your, you know, your life is becoming unraveled in one way or the other. And people would come to him and say, you know, you seem to have taken these issues, you know, these three terminal illnesses, and you really seem to be doing pretty well with these things. What should I do? That was a question they would always ask. What should I do? What should I do? And here was his answer. He gave the same answer every time. He said, it is legitimate to ask God why. And the sooner you find out the answer to that question, the sooner you can cooperate with him for his glory and for your good. Oh, does this mean if I find out why I'm going to be healed? He said, I didn't say that. It is legitimate to ask why. Now, God doesn't have to answer. But if he ever gives you just a little glimmer of the why, then what do you do? You just agree with him for his glory. Now, let, let me give you one little illustration, and then we're gone. I, um, I was on an uh, uh, interview this week with a, a, a Moody uh, network station called Prime Time America. I believe that's the name of it, out of Chicago, or some, I, I think that's where it was. And this guy, you know, the, the, first of all, he had the story all wrong. He said, I hear you were living in Hawaii and your house burned up, you know. I said, in my dreams, I was living. No, I didn't say that. Anyway, I said, no, you got your story all fouled up, you know. So I had to straighten him out on the story. He said, well, okay, now, he said, uh, so then you went into this condo, and, and then this thing blew away in the storm. And uh, he said, boy, I bet you, you know, I bet you have really gone through. I said, you know, the truth of the matter is, um, right as, as that happened, I mean, it was like before the next day came around, my wife and I, we, we asked a question. Why? Now, I'm not talking about complaining. Why me? No, just why? Because as soon as you find out, if, if God chooses to give you a why, you can cooperate with it. Why? And it was as if the Lord just clearly spoke to us and said, A, you didn't lose a lot because you didn't have a lot to lose. But B, what you lost is a very small price to pay for the privilege of being able to be a credible witness to the many people in your church family who have lost everything. It is good, I think, the Lord was saying to me, if the shepherd has at least some notion of where the sheep are going. Right? And so I said to him, you know, to me, this was a no-brainer. It's just, a, it was, you know, I said, now, I'm sure there's more behind that because people come up. I had people come up here and said, you know, God's telling you to leave Oklahoma. I said, you know, I said to the person who told me that, I said, if God wanted me to leave Oklahoma, it wouldn't have been my house that had gone up. It had been me that had gone up, and I'd be, you know, in Missouri someplace or, uh, you know, when it's all over. 
Uh, I said, I, if God wants to talk to me, I, he'd probably talk to me, you know, uh, about that. But, I mean, this was not malicious. I mean, they were just... And, you know, I get all the jokes. You know, a guy told me that Rough and Snow sung a song in a revival recently, I'll Fly Away and Dedicated to My Clothes. <laughs> you know, he just won't quit. I mean, he's... I got him as far from here as we can get him, and he won't quit. Uh, but why? You know, well, I, maybe that's not the whole why. But, but, but that's enough why for me to go on until he shows me something different, right? And God didn't have to tell you anything. He could just say, cause. Suck it up and do right any what. Do what I tell you to do. Just cause. He could do that. But if you ever can find out the why, then you can run to him, embrace it, and cooperate with it. Father, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will write across our heart these five questions to ask when we're searching for your will. I pray in Jesus' wonderful and precious name. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? We're going to stand. You know the drill here. Our praise singers are going to be singing in a few moments, leading us in a song of invitation. Now, what is this invitation? It's God's invitation to you. I'm just verbalizing it. But it's God's invitation to you, really. Counselors will be here at the front. It could be that, that as, as I've spoken this evening, you say, you know, preacher, that's where I am. I mean, that is where I am about the will of God. I mean, and I want to just come to this altar and get on my knees and say, Lord, I cooperate. I cooperate. It could be that there's some other issue that you're struggling with in your life. I mean, something that the Lord is just really, just really dealing with you about in your life. And you want to come to this altar, talk with the counselor, maybe you just want to kneel and talk with God, Right? in your life, in your business, in your family, in your pocketbook, in your body, uh, whatever it is. And you're seeking God's why. You're seeking the will of God in regard to this. Well, this is your invitation because it's prayer meeting night. But then always there are people who come, in a group this large, people who come and they don't know Jesus as their Savior. I mean, very religious people who uh, just assume, you know, if I die, I'm going to go to heaven, you know. But it never has occurred to them that that is for those who have repented of sin and trusted Jesus, believed in him unto salvation. And they just never repented. They never just, you know, just walking out or said what somebody told them to do sometime. They do not have a genuine experience with Christ. And maybe you'd have to say, I don't have that. Well, tonight you can settle that. And I would encourage you when we stand just to make your way to the aisle, find a counselor and say, I'm trusting Jesus tonight. It could be that this is not right now the church of which you're a member and you want to make this your church home. I would urge you to do that tonight. I would really urge you to do that, to, to just come forward, tell one of these counselors, look, we want to join this church. I want to join this church. This could be the very first night you're here and you're so sensitive to God that God's spoken to you and you're just going to do that. I would urge you to do that. could be that God's calling you. Some other decision that the Lord's put on your heart. Well, this is your invitation spoken by me but from the heart of God. And I would urge you to respond. Let's stand with our heads bowed. Father in heaven, I pray, believing that in these moments you will bring to this altar those who will say yes to you. Bring our prayer warriors, Lord, to pray with those who have need. Lord, make our hearts sensitive to you, I pray in Jesus' name.